0: Psalm 23. The Lord is
1: my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death,
0: Thank you, John. When you open the Bible, when you open the Scriptures, when you open God's Word, how do you see it? God describes His Word as timeless and eternal. In other words, it has no beginning, it has no end. It is not bound up by time. We're bound by time. We live by time. We live by watches and clocks and schedules. But God's Word is timeless. But it's also timely. In other words, what God has written from eternity past to eternity future is appropriate and relevant for us today, and for you specifically. And I find that so true almost every time I pick it up and read it, and probably never more so than when we come to the text that is for this morning as we proceed Thanksgiving When David writes these words, My cup runs over. It's a week of thanksgiving. And I think that metaphor, that picture of the cup, describes this week of thanksgiving. As we've been working through the 23rd Psalm, probably the most well known, most familiar to us, the most memorized, the most read, it begins by the statement, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Now, David is writing this from his perspective. David, we we are introduced to him as a young 16 or 17-year-old boy who's watching sheep. We follow his story as it develops as being a giant slayer, as a captain of the military guard, as the next king of Israel. We follow his life, and he is also a poet. He is a songwriter. He is a musician. He is a singer, and he writes with great emotion and great expression so that psalms will often resonate with exactly how we feel. We find that that some of our complaints, our frustrations, our arguing with God, David does, and we say, that's the way I feel. And we follow as he works through some of his personal situations. He knows what it's like to be a shepherd. That's not familiar to us, most of us. But he knows what it's like to be a shepherd of sheep and care for the sheep. And he knows what it's like to be king and a shepherd king and care for people. And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd... He is using a metaphor and a picture that relates to the way that he feels. We don't always feel that way. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. We don't always feel that way, that my cup is running over. And that's a picture of the preceding verse that says, or the preceding Part of verse 5 that says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Oil oil is a picture of blessing and gladness and goodness of God just pouring out. We talked about that last week. But how do you capture all of that blessing? How do you capture all of that goodness? He says, "My, my cup is flowing over. And I think that many times when we come to the word, we'll read something that is true, but it's not how we feel. And there is a, there is a process of, of working through to give thanks, not because that is how I feel, but because that is what I know. And that's what truth does for us. You come back to what you know is true about God and what He has said. What I love about David, one of the things I love about David, is he's not perfect. (laughs) It'd be hard to read um, the story of a guy who just doesn't really understand what it's like to fail or to struggle or to question God or to get discouraged or to get weary or want to quit. But David has felt in his life all of those things, and he works through those. So I can participate, even though this was written... Some 2,000 years ago and 1,000 years before the time of Christ, he speaks how he works through this through the Lord. We talked about how this term, the Lord, rather than God or God Almighty, the word Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is God's name for himself that is personal. It relates. He is the one we come to know in a personal and real way. And it is the very name that Jesus used in the Gospel of John chapter 10 when he said, I am. The same name for Jehovah. He said, I am God, and I am the good shepherd. So this is Christ. We call this a messianic psalm, as is Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and 24, messianic psalm. So my prayer today is this timeless, incredible psalm will become personal and relevant to you where you live today as it has to me and and does every time that I read it. Let's begin with David. David, we are reminded of, of the context that he's writing this psalm. We have stated that he's not uh, probably under some tree, shade tree, uh, strumming his guitar, writing this song as he's watching the sheep graze peacefully. The situation that we find David in as he writes this psalm is he has been king for some time. His son, Absalom, is attacking the city, <clears throat> driving David out. He wants to kill his father. He wants to destroy everything that he, his father has done. He wants to become king, and he has done it in a very high-handed and arrogant way. And so, the way that we read this, as uh, Samuel writes the story, is that David is fleeing for his life, barefoot, head-covered, weeping as he leaves Jerusalem. He has a few of his followers. He is leaving his home, the city, everything that he's labored for his whole life. Now, there are a few times that people go through that sort of thing where you are losing everything. You are losing everything. Not You add to that, it's not just he's, he's losing his job, he's losing his kingdom, he's losing his home, he's losing his wealth, he's losing his financial security, he's losing his reputation as a great leader, warrior, and, and strong person. He's losing all of that you add to this just the anxiety of his own heart, a broken heart of losing his own son. And this, to me, is, is probably the thing that he feels the most. When relationships are shattered, they have the deepest and most profound effect upon us. And so, some of us, you know, you could, you could lose all the stuff in life, but when there's a shattered relationship, there is such grief that is indescribable. So I view this in my my personal view of David's life. This is the lowest point of his life. He is in the worst spot, and it'd be a time of just crying out and complaint and crying out, God, why is this happening? I have failed in everything I've tried to do as a dad, as a king, as a leader. And I've lost everything. And, and he starts this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Now that, that helps us understand. It doesn't come from a man who just, you say, well, it must be nice. Yeah, if I were king living in the palace, I'd say that too. And then this statement, my cup, This is the the, the picture. My cup is just running over. What do we learn in difficulty, adversity, and suffering? I found in my personal Christian life experience that the greatest growth of my life has been during the greatest struggle. I wish it weren't that way. Because I'd have much more passion for learning. <laughs> so you take David and, and try, to, try to identify a little bit with what he's going through here. You have in your mind, he's, he's going down the Kidron Valley, out of the gates of Jerusalem, barefoot, head covered, weeping with a few people. There's a descendant of Saul named Shimei who's throwing stones and cursing at him. He just feels horrible. He goes down through the valley all the way down to the Jordan River, which is, which is that, the valley of the shadow of death, the shadows of death all the way down that valley. Crosses over the Jordan, heads up, says, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. But you picture David going through all of this and you ask, why? Why? I don't get it you ever asked that to the lord before you're going through the valley of the shadow of death you're you have pain inside that's indescribable and you're saying lord why why and honestly there's sometimes i don't feel like running to the lord i'm just frustrated with him why why are you allowing this and i'd like to just take a this is just kind of a side to this message to 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 talk about that for a moment when you suffer and when you go through great difficulty god is at work he's at work what we would say on the micro level in other words in my life he he is work working specifically on specific issues in my life that are probably detailed out in a great way but he's also working on a macro level. In other words, God is working here, but he's working here. And there are four words I want to give to you. You can write them down that I would say on a macro level are always true when you're going through a test, when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through trial. These are always true. God is moving 1 toward intimacy intimacy God is all about relationship He is not about religion he is not about what you do he is he wants your heart David was described as a man after God's own heart God wants your heart and a lot of times, He doesn't get your heart because you're too busy. You're too busy doing stuff. And sometimes you're too busy doing stuff for Him. Noble good things. But God will bring and allow adversity, difficulty into your life because He loves you and wants you to draw in tight. Draw in tight. It's like a little child coming up and and, and wanting to be have their... Parents' arms wrapped around them. And and God always desires with His people intimacy, closeness, tightness, relationship deepened. That's the first thing. And we see that all through the Scriptures. That you might know me. That you might understand me. That you might love me. That you might walk with me. And I feel that a lot of us, we just go on our merry way and give a nod to God, but we run to Him when we need Him. We get into our routines, life is good, life is going well, we're paying the bills, we're buying our stuff, we're, kids are doing well, family's doing well, and, um, and I'm not saying we don't read our Bibles and pray, but not with the same intensity. When you get to this point like David is that there is such an intensity to pursue after God for help. So intimacy is always true of what God is doing in your life to bring you to deeper, more abiding relationship with him. And there's not a person here that doesn't need more of that. I'm not saying that you say, Lord, give me some suffering this week because I'd really like to get close to you. I'm not suggesting you pray that way. But I'm telling you that every time you suffer, every time you hurt, every time there's pain, God's working to do that. Second word, maturity. You can't grow without a struggle. I mean, you can read a lot of books. You can do a lot of things. You can listen to all kinds of podcasts and sermons and Christian music. But when we grow is when there is test and trial. This is always true. As Craig has been preaching through the book of James, we're reminded that... uh, He's speaking to his his flock, his people, and he says, you count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces endurance. But let that endurance have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I can't think of any time that I've really made a significant step forward in my Christian experience and growth without a test. I mean, I, I can fill my head with knowledge, and, and I'm, I'm learning things. But I'm really not learn. You learn things when they get test, tested. Maturity is something that God wants for you because He wants you to be changed. You know, you say, well, what does God want to change about me? And, and I would say this, from, from what you look like right now, and, and all I can see is the outside right now, God sees all of you. You know that? He sees all of you. <laughs> so when God looks at you, he loves you, but he, he doesn't want you to look so much like that as he wants you to look like his son. And he wants to always be changing, changing, changing you for you to look more like Jesus. And we're not there. You're not there. I'm not there. So what is it that God's at work in my life bringing me to the, more liken- the likeness of His Son? That is called what we call spiritual maturity and development. So intimacy, maturity. Here's another thing that God is always doing. Expectancy. Get your eyes on heaven. Not on the earth. Live your life in light of eternity. See your problem in light of eternity. See your sickness in light of eternity. See your loss in light of eternity. See the warfare in light of eternity. When you see things on on this world and this life in light of eternity, it changes your whole perspective. This life is described as a vapor, a puff of wind, smoke going before your eyes, and it's gone. And if we invest in this world and this life, it's going to go through our fingers. The Lord wants us looking forward. And I know people say, no, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't know if that's really possible, because I think that when you're When you're heavenly-minded and eternally focused, you're a lot more good on this earth because you're focused on things that matter. You're focused on things that God loves. You're focused on people. You're focused on relationships. You're focused on things that last and not on stuff. So expectancy. View everything in light of eternity. And the fourth word is ministry. God brings a trial into your life. He is working all around you. This is probably one of the most recent, I would say, discoveries for me. Uh, it's like the Lord rebuking me when I, when I go and I say, Lord, what's all this about? What's all this about? I don't get it. I don't get it. And it's like the Lord is saying to me, it's not about you. <laughs> okay? It's not about you. It's like, Lord, I've got my broken arm and I've hurt this and i lost all my money, My house burned down and I've lost my job. It's not about you. That's, that's pretty humbling, isn't it? It's kind of embarrassing. Because I'm, tr- I'm always trying to figure out what God's trying to do. What is he doing to me? <laughs> I get very selfish. I'm very self-focused about my trials. And to realize that God is probably doing a thousand other things around me, so get your head up out of the sand and start looking for what God is doing. So ministry. Intimacy, maturity, expectancy, ministry. Well, those things are God is always doing. Now back to David. David finds his cup overflowing with abundance from God during the most difficult time of his life. So what is a cup? It's a metaphor, of course. The Bible's filled with metaphors, pictures, ideas that we can visibly see and help to help us understand what he's talking about. So the cup is something physical, tangible for us for the shepherd you say well i never saw a sheep use a cup <laughs> but the shepherd will use a cup and often when sheep are sick the shepherd will take the cup and fill it with wine and water modern day shepherds will use things like brandy and water or some something like that for the sheep to drink when they're sick it's a cup is useful for the shepherd, for the king. The cup was something that uh, was very significant, probably really fancy for the king. He would have a cup bearer. You've heard that term maybe before. A cup bearer was was probably the most important position in the whole king, uh, the whole palace, because everyone's trying to kill the king. That that cup bearer is the most trusted person to be able to to give the king to drink something that is good. So, for David, the cup is something familiar. A cup came into civilization many years before this, but when, when the cup was first developed and created, I think we'll switch over to... So, when the, when, the cup, when the cup is developed, is the first time we've been able to contain and save and preserve and carry what we have. Before that, it's like okay, fill my hands, <laughs> and it's starting to leak, and I got, I've got to drink it before it's gone. So, as civilization developed, started creating these containers, and the ability to transport, and the ability to preserve, and, and the, the the opportunity to be able to enjoy these things. So, it changed. It really changed. Had a significant change in all of culture and all of civilization. And. As I said, this is a carryover from you anoint my head with oil, which is, which is kind of a weird idea for us today, but for back then it was, it was one of the greatest blessings bestowed upon a person is pouring oil, uh, the commodity, the rich commodity over a person's head was to signify great blessing, and the cup, the cup runs over, in other words, all the excess of that blessing, goodness, gladness that is poured over, now he says, my cup what I have, my life, is running over with the blessing of God. So this is, this is the picture that David is giving, is that the Lord himself has anointed him, blessed him, and his cup is filled up from that excess, and it is running over. And just, you think, how, how puzzling is that, that he's making this statement while he's fleeing Jerusalem? Typically, a cup is made of pottery. Sometimes out of other things, uh, wood or later times glass, metal. But typically, the most useful way to contain or to make a cup was out of pottery. And it's interesting about, because pottery is used throughout the scriptures. And a cup is two things. First of all, it's a work of art. So whoever whoever makes that cup and he's talking about the Lord being the potter. We have many references throughout the Bible. Is, is the Lord is the one who fashions this cup. So if the cup is my life, the Lord has formed me and he has fashioned me. It is God's work. He has made me. So if you don't like the way you look, the way you, the way you are, don't forget this. That God has created you and he has made you and he has formed you and you are beautiful in the sight of God, because he's made you. So, this is what is done with clay. It is a work of art. Secondly, the cup serves a functional purpose, and there are many uses for cups. In the same way, God has formed you as something beautiful intrinsically before him. He's also formed you for usefulness. He has formed you for service, just as a cup representing David's life has been formed for service it represents who you are what God has called you to do there are many references of course the cup of joy and blessing the cup of grief and suffering the cup of wrath Jesus said in his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane Lord let this cup pass from me with his disciples he said as often as you drink this cup you do show the Lord's death till he comes this idea of of the pottery, the clay, the cup, my cup, Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, he he talks about this, verse 4, he says, the word of the Lord came to me, the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I chose you before I formed you, and I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then in chapter 18, he says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar as it seemed right to him. Now, this imagery with Jeremiah is, to me, is really profound because it carries over into the New Testament with Jesus and also the Apostle Paul. So what the Lord is saying, before I formed you like clay on the wheel, I knew you. So I knew you and I formed you. That's what he did for Jeremiah. And I was talking about the people now. He said, but when I'm forming them, the jar is flawed. And he's talking about their sin. He's talking about their... Their disobedience, their departure from, they were worshiping other gods, and so, so what does what does God do to this flawed pottery in the making? He reworks it, he remakes it, and he says in chapter two of Jeremiah, "For my people have committed a double evil; they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water." In other words. The Lord is the fountain, Jesus. He describes himself in the Gospel of John as living water. They have two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water that is overflowing. You get this picture of the cup just overflowing. And they have dug cisterns for themselves. So they've gone out, and the cistern is, is like a clay pot in the ground. <laughs> so they have dig, dig, dig so they can preserve and hold and keep and and keep all their things. They've forsaken the Lord to have their own stuff. But he said those cisterns are cracked and they cannot hold water. In the New Testament, Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, he says, we have this treasure in, in jars of clay so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So the treasure is God and what he does. And he pours into us himself, not only who he is, but all that he does, to fill us with what we need. So you go back to the very beginning of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. And he is pouring out all that he is, all that he does into my life. And the excellency of this is from him and not from us. Paul says to Timothy, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. In other words, some are just utilitarian and some are just for special occasions. If anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So this is what God is concerned about. Our life and this cup he has given to us. And a cup is designed to receive something. By grace we receive. In other words, there's nothing good in and of ourselves, but we receive from him. If you remember the conversation that Jesus had to the Pharisees, you know, Jesus was nice to everybody except People that were blocking faith and those that were unkind to the underprivileged. But he said to the religious leaders, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. And so this is what God is concerned about, that we be in the condition and the position to not have a broken, cracked cup, not to have a filthy cup, but uh, but and this doesn't mean I got to go out and clean it myself. But I simply confess the fact, Lord, there's nothing good in me. I I I cannot do this myself. And this is where this is where David was fleeing from Jerusalem in total and absolute humility and dependence, saying, "Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you." That's the kind of cup that the Lord will fill. It gets broken. It gets cracked. And I think one of the things that we would love to see in every person that we care about is authenticity, purity. Um, Philippians one ten says, so that you may be approve things that are superior and may be pure or sincere. The word sincere is, uh, the Greek word means to, to judge in light of the sun. To judge in light of the sun, which may seem odd to have a word like that, but that's the, the Greek word for it. And it, basically what would happen is that when pottery was uh, cracked, some people would fill it in with wax and paint over it and sell it. Well, it's going to leak. And they would. if you're checking the pottery before you purchase something of value, you'd hold it up into the light so it's judged in the light of the sun. You could see the crack shine through the wax. What God wants us to be is authentic. He wants us to be real. we got cracks, we admit it. We have sin, we confess it. And he goes on in in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. That's kind of an interesting way to describe it. You know how people will drink a lot of wine, which is always wrong. Drunkenness in the Bible is always wrong. He says, you drink a lot of wine and become drunk. He said, but that's a negative thing. But in a positive way, I want you to be drinking up of the Spirit of God so much that that intoxicates your life. In other words, I am intoxicated by the effect of God's goodness and God's Spirit at work in my life, changing me to the likeness of Christ. This is what he's wanting to be doing. So, you come down to the, to the end of this, and I'd like to just kind of wrap this up by how does this apply to my life? How, how does Psalm 23 apply to my life? One is God formed you as a beautiful work of art. And God formed you for a useful purpose. And my prayer is this that you would first give thanks to God for the life He has given you and the way He has formed you, not regret that, and that you would pursue him fulfilling his plan for your usefulness because God did create you with a plan. In your testing, you will learn to receive by faith. So when when David is confidently conquering all of the kingdoms of that known world and David is slaying Goliath and David is, is uh, providing leadership for the world, he's probably not in this desperate spot, Lord, I need you. Fill my cup, fill my cup. I'm empty. Lord, I'm parched. I'm thirsty. I'm desperate for you. And uh, this is what God wants to do. Through trial and test, show us our need that He might fill us to overflowing. It's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'll I'll end with this. Um, 2 Kings 4, the prophet Elisha. It says, one of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor is coming to take my two children as slaves. Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. You remember what we said, the jar of oil is like a commodity, it's it's, it's a blessing, I've got got one jar of oil left, and that's it, he said then go, go out and borrow empty containers, empty jars from all your neighbors, do not get get a few, (laughs) then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers, set the full ones to one side, so she left, After she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers, and she kept pouring. When they were full, she said to her son, Bring me another container. But he replied, There aren't any more. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, Elisha, and said. he said to her, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. It's kind of similar to the feeding of the five thousand when Jesus fed the five thousand. It's like there's no no limit. There is no limit to God's blessing, but He feeds hungry people and needy people. This woman, why do you think this woman was in such a desperate strait? Do you think God forgot about her? Do you think God, oh, I forgot about her. She only has one jar of oil left. She's going to die. Forget about those boys. You think God forgot about David. Oh, David, I forgot. Oh, your son's taken over the kingdom. I forgot. It. No, God has allowed this to accomplish what we said. God is moving David. God is moving this woman. God is moving you to intimacy through your test. God is moving you to maturity so you become more like Jesus. God is moving you to expectancy that you get your eyes off the stuff down here and start looking to what really matters and God is moving you to ministry, this isn't just about you. This is about a thousand other things that God is doing that you will see. How do, I, how do I come to the Lord to fill my cup? Fill my cup. Fill my cup. I go to his truth, the truth of his word. I call upon his name in prayer. I act in faith to believe, and my cup runs over. And the sweetest times in our lives can be often what is most difficult because we find the deepening relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that that, what was true for David, is designed to be true for you. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it touches where we live today. And we pray that you'd help us to embrace what you're teaching, that we would not just get angry and frustrated, but to see the joy that you want to bring and filling our cups to overflowing with your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.